Hey guys, welcome in to the Level Up Experience. I'm your host, Chris Reed. My guest today is Jamie McLaurin. Jamie is the co-founder of Veloce Esports and was founded in December 2017. Veloce Esports has grown to become one of Europe's leading esports teams competing in Rocket League, Fortnite, F1 Esports, CSGO, Gran Turismo, and Forza Motorsport. The team has over 30 professional pro gamers and content creators, including a strategic partnership with Alfa Romeo Racing Formula One team and Fernando Alonso Racing. Their mission is to bring racing and entertainment to the people through content, on-track excitement, and industry-leading products. We're discussing the growth of Veloci Esports over the last few years, how content plays a role in the organization, and the unbelievable success of recent online events, such as Not the Oz GP and Not the Ba GP. Thanks for tuning in. Hope you enjoy. To get started, what I'd like to do, Jamie, if you can give a little bit of background about yourself and kind of maybe some high-level um, on the kind of the journey you've been on with Veloci Esports. It's been really cool to see uh, really since 2017 what Veloci has done, going back and doing research and um, just seeing what you guys have been doing. It's been great. So if you could do that real quick and catch everybody up, that'd be awesome. Yeah, of course. Um, so Veloci Esports was founded uh, the back end of 2017. Um, so me and my two business partners, um, Rupert Svensson Cook and Jack Clark. Um, my background is... Previously to working in esports, I was a football agent, so a soccer agent uh, for people in America. Uh, so I used to manage Premier League football players. And my two business partners are former professional racing drivers. Um, and they set up post uh, the sporting careers. They had a management agency in the, in the real world. And all of us were kind of enjoying what we did, but found finding it very difficult to scale our businesses beyond ourselves because obviously we're kind of integral to each client that we had a career. So Esports kind of provided us with an opportunity to come together and look at how we could take um, the motorsport industry, certainly was our main focus, um, and, and kind of implement esports, which up until a few years ago, kind of they, motorsport didn't really accept or do an awful lot in esports at all. So it was a real opportunity for us to, to use our traditional sports backgrounds um, to kind of make some significant progress and headway quite quickly uh, in the esports sector. And we, we kind of, there's two pillars to our business, which we built, built the kind of um, built things on, which is credibility and, and visibility. And the, the credibility comes from winning races and competing and doing well. So we operate um, 35 professional drivers and gamers. So they're competing in the Formula One esports series, uh, some NASCAR events, uh, off-road, so dirt rally kind of stuff, Forza Motorsport, loads of different titles within the racing space. Um, Rocket League, which is obviously a, a big esport. We, we've got a team in the top league in Europe there. Uh, we also have players in Fortnite. So we've got quite a, an eclectic mix. Um, but I think early on in, in the business, we kind of recognised that if we were winning races online and no one watched, then what was the point in, in winning them? So we really looked at kind of using influences in, in the market. So there were several uh, YouTubers and streamers that um, produced esports racing content um, that we kind of pulled into our Veloce business and, and brought them under our, uh, into our stable, basically. And they provided us the opportunity to kind of go out and produce content and give the fans uh, of motorsport, you know, content they maybe never watched before, 
um, which has been really exciting. And up until um, I think it was the middle of 2018, we signed a partnership with uh, Alfa Romeo's F1 team. Uh, we launched Fernando Alonso, who's one of the most sports big names, uh, his esports team. So we, we've made some significant uh, progress and, and now we're really at a stage where we want to take the next step and, and be you know, the, the go-to esports team for anyone that likes racing, which I think we, we, we're getting towards. Um, we've got a, a network of, of our influencers that reaches 75 million views a month. So we've, we've got a powerful network that we work with. Um, we're winning races, uh, we're winning competitions, so it's, it's a really exciting time uh, for the business. And talk a little bit, so you talk about content, we'll get to that in just a little bit, about bringing out the content team and kind of a different, the different pillars. With Veloce, you guys have done, obviously done a great job because I think a lot of times with, with orgs, it comes down to how good is your content really is kind of the reach that you're going to get. I think that was great talking about influencers and how you brought them on. Um, I want to talk a little bit though about the last two weeks, if that's all right, because obviously um, it was, it's a pretty big sticking point and a pretty big inflection point the way I see it uh, as an outsider as to what's happened kind of a, in, the, in the sim racing space. Uh, can you talk a little bit about the journey the last two weeks? I'm sure it's probably maybe felt either really fast, like a couple of days like Jam did or like almost like two months uh, within the last two weeks, so a lot has happened um, with with the two events, uh, not the Bod GP and not the Oz GP. So if you can just kind of go through that process, it'd be great. Yeah, of course. I mean, it's, it's been a whirlwind few days, Chris. It really has, uh, but it's been amazing. Really, really uh, exciting time. I mean, so we're kind of approaching the stage of the coronavirus where sporting fixtures and events were getting cancelled and. Um, the Australian Grand Prix, which was scheduled for early March, uh, a couple or two weeks ago, two and a bit weeks ago, um, on like the Thursday, Wednesday or Thursday, I think there were signs that the Sunday was going to be cancelled, the weekend was going to be cancelled, and and we thought, as a kind of racing esports team, where you know esports in the in the kind of loose term is is immune to the coronavirus, you know, in, in the sense that it can events can continue, then they're not going to be cancelled uh, on the whole. Um, we thought that there was going to be a lot of fans that were going to be without racing. There were going to be a lot of drivers not driving on the track. Um, and obviously we had our network of virtual talent that we could kind of bring together and put on a show for fans uh, and put some smiles back on some on people's faces because, you know, let's, let's face it, it is a dark time for everyone. You know, people are dying around the world. It's very difficult. It's difficult to get too excited by it. Um, but, you know, our philosophy has been to, you know, give, make, make, make good of a bad situation. And, you know, there's a lot of people out there that are going to be bored. You know, there's only so many Netflix series that you can watch. There's only so many crosswords you can do before, you know, maybe you turn to esports and, and, and watch that. Uh, and, and that's something that we found. So we, we, we basically ran our own Australian Grand Prix, which we titled not the, not the Oz GP. So we had... Lando Norris, who's a well-known Formula One driver from uh, the UK. We had Stoffel Van Dorn. We've had so we had a, a good mix of real-life talent, and we had some esports champions. So we had Danny Bresme, uh, Danny Bresme, and James Baldwin, who are Alfa Romeo's esports drivers. Um, we had some YouTubers who brought huge audiences to the to the race. Um, I think we had 170 for the first event. We had 175,000 live concurrent viewers, which for a sim racing event has never been seen before. Um, you know, typically, we've been fighting a battle for two years to try and kind of 
tell people that sim racing is exciting and, and fun to watch. And, um, you know, it, the event itself blew everyone away. It really did. And, and I think the motorsport community, the motorsport, uh, motorsport brands, motorsport teams all really came, kind of came behind it. And, and um, that was really good to see. And you know, the level of engagement that we, that we got off it has been sensational, really. You know, we've, our, our YouTube channel has doubled in size in, in a week. Um, you know, we've now gone, I think we went from 800 followers on Twitch to 20,000 on Twitch now, I believe. Um, in, two, in a week, in two weeks? In, in two weeks. Um, that's, that's incredible. Yeah, it's incredible. And what's, what's good is it's kind of given us a platform now for, you know, racing's going to be cancelled till June, um, at least. Um, right. So we have, you know, 11, 12 weeks really to, to kind of give fans consistent racing content uh, and races that, they'd never see in the real world. You know, you'd never really see a Formula One driver racing against a Formula E driver, racing against an IndyCar driver. You wouldn't see that because they'd all be in their own championships. And that's something that's unique and it's never happened before. Um, and I think also for the drivers, you know, it's, it's a way to, they're sitting at home, not getting their racing fix and they're able to compete. You know, they're able to reach out and, in, and engage with their own fan bases. Um, for brands, I think in time, you know, they're going to be without exposure in the real world. Um, so I would imagine a lot of them will be looking at our events or, you know, any sim racing events and thinking, you know, it's probably worth getting behind these guys because, you know, they're going to get, they're going to reach X amount of people every Sunday. Um, so, yeah, really, really kind of positive um, times. And I think we've also recognised it's a good opportunity with that many people watching to to spread awareness about the coronavirus and, and to share that message too, because that is equally as important as, um, you know, it is kind of making a commercial entity. It's, it's not really about that at this time. It's, it's more about community, giving back to the community. And, and, and that, that's what really kind of engaged me certainly over the last two weeks. So Jamie McLaurin, co-founder of Valachi Esports joining us. Um, yeah. You talk about there's a coping side of this. It's more than just pumping content for the sake of engagement. Like, like low level engagement. It, it's more about the social interaction because we have this new layer of, you know, we talked talk about this a lot the last couple of weeks, but, you know, the physical engagement with people has been taken away, you know, really pretty much, you know, within a couple of days. I mean, when you looked at what kind of the sticking point was when the NBA canceled, you know, suspended their season, it just kind of like domino effect down and things just kind of shut down within a few days. Um, and just the engagement, uh, the human engagement is just, just shut down on the physical side. So I think there is this social interaction layer that, that you've seen. So you went like, for example, you said your Twitch channel went from 100, 800 followers to 20,000. So part of it obviously is, is the good content uh, and people enjoy it. But I think there's that social interaction layer to it as well. It's kind of hard to put, you know. Uh, well, I think you're spot on. I actually think you're spot on with that. I think so. I mean, I looked at figures the other day, you know, Steam had the highest uh, concurrent users they've ever had um, because I think there's a lot of people and a lot of my friends who have never been gamers before getting PS4s and Xboxes to play with their friends because they're not you know there's no other way to engage with people and I think um, you know that that's a really kind of positive thing for, for yeah. esports as a, in a, as a whole because you know, the industry's got a massive market and an audience and a community but it, it has always kind of struggled certainly in the sim racing space to kind of get through to traditional racing fans who are like, no, I need to smell the car. I need to, you know, I need to hear the engines and, and I feel that. And, and, and I completely understand it, but that, they, that, that, that kind of put them off over watching esports. And I think now that there is no real racing in the real world to be watching, 
the esports can supplement that, and, and maybe we, we've got an opportunity to access a market that we would never otherwise have. Um, and for those people, like you say, to kind of feel part of something, you know, and to be able to speak to other people and share their views, and you know, we for for a race we're holding on Sunday, this coming Sunday, um, we're kind of doing like a community-driven event, so that you know the audience is going to choose what track we're going to be on, so that they feel part of that journey. And I think that is important at the, at the moment, like you say, that there's so many people at home doing nothing. Um, it's nice for them to feel part of something. Yeah, no, I appreciate going through that because I think I think that is a really big deal, and I think it's important to bring up as well during these conversations because it is a layer that's been added to what's what's happened. So, a couple of shout outs: Dan Sybeck, how's it going on LinkedIn? Alexander, Mary, Mary, Mary Gaia, sorry about that, Alexander, and uh, Dev, how you doing? Um, so, Alexander, actually, there's a couple of questions that's come in. So, I love this question. I love you kind of t- uh, take this, but Alexander asks, in terms of personal player development, also known as mental, physical, and financial. What are you doing for your athletes? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. Um, and I think if you'd asked me that two years ago, I think there'd been an, uh, not, not much of an answer, to be honest, because we're still kind of working out what, who, what our identity was as a team and as a business. And I think now that we are at the scale that we are, I think we really recognize that, you know, oh, they're athletes, you know, and they need to be treated like athletes, all these gamers. You know, a lot of them are earning a lot of money. Um, a lot of them are young um, that needs you know support so you know certainly for guys that are earning over a certain level we try and uh, introduce them to financial advisors so that they can spend their money kind of more appropriately and save um, look especially you know some of these guys especially on YouTube you know they're earning huge amounts of money and that can get wasted you know like anyone knows money can be spent very quickly and it's very difficult to be earned so for all of our talent at that level, we, we do try and push them towards financial advice and, and looking at savings, uh, hitting targets, um, putting money towards you know, property. That's something that we put a big focus behind. Um, on the mental side, um, again, you know, before competitions, we often use psychologists to help um, talent when they're not, you know, if they're not performing at the best, we have a psychologist that we use um, and we can give athletes the access to them that, that they need. Um, physically, again, this is a great point. I think in esports, there is, certainly from the outside in, this kind of mentality that everyone's kind of fat, lazy gamers. You know, there's been that kind of view for a number of years now. And it's something we've really tried hard to kind of turn around. And, you know, I feel like I'm a big believer in kind of a fit body and being a fit mind and that if you look after yourself and you eat well, then naturally if you're a sportsman, you're going to be performing better on the pitch. And in esports, it's no different. You know, we have seen the differences between gamers that are eating badly and not training well um, to then eating better and training and their performance on track, it, it definitely improves. Yeah, not, sorry, not to interrupt. So you've seen a tangible difference a tangible difference, 100%. Yeah. I mean, one of our one of our lead drivers, James Baldwin, who's um, kind of, I'd say, the biggest name sim racing at the moment in the sense that he's world's fastest gamer. He competes on pretty much every racing title. He had, uh, a, we had a meeting with him probably a year ago about his diet, about his 
physical performance. And he's always been someone that looks after himself and goes to the gym. But he made some small tweaks and you know, before events he would be going for more runs, he'd be he'd be eating. I I, I obviously am on, on the ground quite a lot of these events with the with the kind of gamers and, and I always from afar look at how they're approaching an event, if they're getting stressed out when they make a mistake. Um, and I think that's the one biggest difference is that it doesn't necessarily affect the talent on, on the track, but what it does do is that if something was to go wrong or if they make a mistake, they're able to handle that pressure better. Um, and I think it, it is all a mindset. Sport is no different to esports in that sense. You know, it's about how you approach it. You know, and, and in sim racing, you can imagine you've got thousands of competitors. You know, racing and on a track in the real world, you only have maybe 20, 30 maximum other competitors to be up against. These guys are up against thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of people. Um, and, and to be at the very top and to be kind of regularly, consistently performing at that level, then you, you have, to, um, have, to, have to look at that, for sure. No, I appreciate you going through that, because as you know, um, you know, especially the last year, you're starting to hear that conversation really take off. Um, and because, again, as you mentioned before, it wasn't as ingrained, I think, with on the organization level, on a player level. And again, I think there's still, in general, just I guess looking on the outside, there's still a lot of room to grow. But I, I love that you went, because I think I think some people think that it's, oh, well, this is just a concept or an idea. Like, it sounds great, like healthy body, healthy mind, whatever. It sounds great, but okay, where's the data? Does it really help? I think a lot of people are asking that question. But I love that but you're in it, like you are in it every day with your organization. So hearing it come from you, like to me, that's an actual experience. That's actual data of the, what the market says. Yeah. What it, no, no, I, I'm, I'm no expert, Chris, in yeah. psychology or I'm no expert in, in sports science. But right. you know, all, I can, all I can say from my experiences is that it, it, even if it gives you a 1% uh, increase in performance, then it's worth doing. Um, you know, that 1% can be the difference between half a tenth of a second and not getting half a tenth of a second on a, on a racetrack. So, um, you know, half a tenth of a second can be the difference between winning and losing. And, and that, for me, has always been my kind of mantra and philosophy is that, you know, if there's a game to have, it's worth, it's worth trying to get it. And the first thing you mentioned was the financial aspect of all this. And what really intrigues me is this is hardly ever talked about. Mm-hmm. In conversations, I just do not hear it. Maybe I'm not listening in the right places, but I'm pretty sure I'm right that this is not talked about enough as far as like the financial health of definitely, content. Definitely not in esports. I, I, I mean, my background before, was, like I said, was in, was in soccer and football. Um, and those guys are earning huge sums of money, at, you know, coming from backgrounds, very humble backgrounds where they weren't earning money, their families weren't from money. Um, and suddenly they were earning, you know, 100,000, 200,000, 500,000 pounds, you know, in a month sometimes. Um, you know, that's money that no one's really experienced having. And without advice, you know, do you expect them to be doing the right things? You know, it's just not possible. So, and then there's no difference that I've taken that lesson from the real sporting world into esports. And it's something that, you know, all of our kind of top earners um, on the YouTube side, certainly, you know, we, we do really encourage them to be using kind of financial advisors. And it's, it's crucial because, you know, this, nobody knows when this is going to end. Nobody knows if YouTube's going to stop. Nobody knows anything in the, digital, in the digital format. So whilst they are earning money of this kind, you know, they should be looking long-term and, and looking at 
whilst they're earning this much money, saving it as best they can. That's a, it's a critical part of certainly our job because I think we'd be doing them a disservice if we, if we weren't kind of looking at that and helping them uh, in that aspect. Yeah, no, I appreciate your perspective and bringing that up because I think the awareness around it and the conversations around it will start that momentum. For mm-hmm. as an, as an, and like you said, as an organization, you know, it just seems like to me part of that uh, ecosystem of being an eco- of being an organization for a player is to help them on the financial side as well. At least guide them. Definitely. You know? Yeah, I mean, so, like, we we can't force people. Um, right. Is is people can earn the money and spend the money as, however they want to? You know, that's their prerogative. But um, what we can do is kind of advise them that it's a sensible thing to look at. Whether they go and do that is, is a different story, but um, no, most of the most of the guys we've got that we've ever spoken to on that on that topic have been very receptive and open to those discussions. Yeah, Dev Dev went on to say the quarantine period cannot stop esports from growing as compared to others. We'll definitely talk about that in just a second. Uh, Paul is asking for that link. Yeah, we'll, we'll post that link uh, for uh, not the Oz GP. I was actually watching that for you. Jumped on here, so uh, and, uh, it was a good, it was a good watch. Ryan, how you doing? How's it going? Um, yeah. So I also I want to dive in a little bit on on the content side because I, we mentioned it earlier, and obviously you guys are doing so well on the content side, especially uh, you know taking advantage of um, you know the attention being where it is, where it is now as far as on Twitch and everything moving online uh, for the for the current time. Talk a little bit about, I guess, your all's top level content strategy. When did that start? Did it start right at 2017 or did you all start taking off more in 2019? I guess kind of walk us through that process. Yeah. Um, I think when we first started the business, we were like, right, we're going to go into racing. Let's go and sign the quickest drivers we, that we can and use our real life sporting experience to kind of show that show those drivers that they're going to be signing to a, an exciting new entity basically because that's all we were at that point and you know we we did we ended up signing you know the top talent guys that were the quickest on on various different racing platforms um and we were winning races you know we were winning races and if you were in the community you'd know about us um it, it kind of the sim racing community you'd know who we were we'd be winning races but that was all it was really and and i think between us we were like we need an audience, you know, we need to, for people to kind of start buying into who these personalities are. You know, we've got a guy from Hungary called Daniel Bresne, who is one of the Formula One, uh, the, one of the leading Formula One esports drivers. Unbelievable talent, you know, really, really lovely bloke, uh, one of the nicest guys you could meet. But there wasn't enough people knowing about him, even though he had such an amazing talent. So we were kind of like, how do we bring an audience to what he's doing? And you know, we looked at the market, we scouted it out, and there were kind of four or five key influences that were producing racing content in the esports capacity. So on the Formula One game, on the Forza game, um, and, and we basically got in touch with them and, and pitched a proposal to kind of join our business and to become part of our Veloce family, which is how we like to position ourselves. And you know, they've been with us for two years now, the leading guys um, who combined reaching about 30 40 million views a month between them um so huge audience very engaged very motorsport centric um and, and we kind of have worked hard to you know not make it it's, it's not a case of like you've done all the work for us we're going to take your audience and we're going to we're going to run it's very much kind of 
you know, bringing them into our family, producing content alongside them, and then integrating the fact that we're also fast so that those fans, if they want to, can go and support our team on a track. And that dynamics work really well for us. Um, and it's, it's something that we've kind of been slowly building. Momentum, obviously, most recently has started to kind of really accelerate. Um, but you know, for those guys to be in our races now, um, and racing against real life Formula One drivers, that's also helping their channels, you know, because we're giving them access to top level Formula One talent like Lando Norris, um, and they they can produce content with him, and and that content obviously does amazingly well because you've got his audience and their audiences colliding, um, and it's a kind of it's a perfect fit in that way. And yeah, going through that process, so you mentioned because uh, I. What I think of are because there's been obviously some people still call esports Wild West, but it's look it's more it's it's matured a lot over the years, obviously. Uh, but you look at you know organizations bringing creators on and how those contracts look like. I mean, there's so I mean it, in that regard, um, especially just even a couple of years ago, it's different than it is today. Um, and, I mean, would I be out of line by saying that there's organizations out there that take advantage of creators? Definitely. Now, 100%, and I think we, we, we put a huge focus behind you know, getting them salaried, um, making sure that they feel that they're being valued by us as a business. Because, I mean, at the end of the day, they're the ones that have grown their own, grown their own audiences from their bedrooms, you know. Um, they're the ones that have put the hard work in. And, and that's what I was saying. You know, we, it's very, we're very conscious that they're joining our team to kind of become part of our family and be involved in various activations and races and, and some cool projects together um, but we you know we also advise them on you know how to structure their youtube channels to make that more professional there's a lot of advice that we also give back so it's not it's not just a case of come here you know do all this work for us grow our audience and we're kind of using them um i think all of them they wouldn't be here if if, if that was the case you know and i think a lot of esports teams and organizations are getting it wrong um in that way uh, I think Optic Gaming, Hundred Thieves, uh, they do a great job on the, on the whole with you know making their content team feel part of you know something rather than just kind of like you know obviously uh, using them for their following. Um, and I think you know ultimately you've got to treat them like an employee, really. You know that they're, they're, that we pay them a retainer every month uh, to be part of our setup and to do various projects for us. Um, and I, and I, the good thing is is that. You know, it's testament to the team that we we have that I think I, I'm speaking for them here, but I know you know they all feel part of the Veloce brand and they've had an influence on its success up until now. You know, they've been here since the very beginning of our, our of us, and and I think the success that we're having now with the not the Oz GP, not the Bar GP, um, they've been crucial to making that happen. And I think they all feel that success is that if it's our success, it's their success. And, and that's a, a nice thing to have. Yeah. I mean, like, you, like you're saying, it's not transactional. It's a family. It's long-term. Yeah. And again, so, you know, on the number side of it, yeah, you might extract a lot higher numbers of revenue, you know, for six months out of those creators. If you, you know, take a higher percentage or, or don't do a retainer, but that's not a long-term strategy kind of the way I see it. Like no. you said, it's, it's a relationship and, where we are in this together, this is a brand that we build together. 
and it's more of a, a partnership than it is, okay, you come on for X amount of months and then we're just going to get rid of you. Yeah, um, it, it doesn't have any longevity, um, that strategy. Yeah. And I think, you know, I, I, I've, I've said this in the past before, um, but, you know, if, if you want to start an esports team or an esports organization or business, you have to be, has to be unique and it has to be different to what other people are doing. And I think um, the, the problem that a lot of new teams uh, are having is that they're looking at optic and they're not understanding what actually goes on behind closed doors or what, what goes on behind closed doors with Veloci content creators. Because, you know, if you don't understand what the contracts look like, you don't understand the other, the other sides of it, it, it can look very much like, oh, all we need to do is just go and get an influencer, use them for three months and then get another one, you know, and that, that's, that just doesn't work um, and it won't work. Okay, we got Jamie McLaurin, co-founder of Lutch Esports with us. Um, Matthew on, on uh, LinkedIn, thanks for jumping in. I'm a huge F1 fan and follow Lando and the others. Only the younger F1 drivers seem to catch up with esports. Would you agree? Yeah, 100%. Um, there's, there's no doubt. I think it's a generational thing now. I think you know, Lando's been brought up with a generation that games and that watches Twitch and YouTube, and, and it's just a seamless transition for him to stream from home, which he does now. Um, you know, for the, the second event that we held, the Not The Bar GP, he actually had over 100,000 viewers live on Twitch, which is insane. You yeah. know, for any racing content to be getting those figures is, is amazing. Um, Max Verstappen obviously does a lot of uh, eye racing, um, and, and, and that's that's the exciting part I think for Formula One fans is that in the past when I was young and you had the likes of Mika Hakkinen, Michael Schumacher dominating the sport, they always felt untouchable and that you would never be, never get the chance to speak to them. Whereas to have your hero being Lando Norris and being able to jump into Twitch chat and message him or watch him from his house. I think you kind of feel closer to to a sportsman in that way, that if you were to see, see them in real life, you'd actually have something to speak about. Um, you know, it wouldn't be like, holy hell, you know, that's my idol. You kind of feel like you know them already because you've been watching them from home. Um, but yeah, for, for any, for, for the sport, I think specifically for Formula One, it's really exciting and very beneficial to have guys like Lando and Max and Alex Alban, all kind of young up and coming talent that, our streamers that like gaming, uh, it's going to be a very interesting time. Yeah, and it's just, it's the same thing with like the NBA here uh, with like Devin Booker or uh, other, Luka Doncic is going to be streaming now. Came out like two weeks ago, like hey, you know, look at the stream, you know, and like people are really excited about it because they get that access to that person, like you said. Otherwise, they wouldn't be able to, to sit there in chat with their favorite athlete. Yeah. So, and a Josh Hart from, for, you know, and just and, and, um, Curry, I think is involved with 100 Thieves in some way, maybe. But yeah, I mean, the, the US athletes, I think, actually led the way to a large mm-hmm. degree in terms of like engaging with esports talent. Like Nate Shot was at, you know, a lot of uh, basketball games, uh, you know, courtside, and the, the players started playing with them. I remember Drake was streaming with Ninja a few couple of years ago. That kind of set a precedent and a tone for like traditional sport and esports it's like esports became cool because the traditional sportsmen were kind of like giving it the thumbs up and the okay you know uh, it, and it shouldn't it shouldn't necessarily be that way but i think for a lot of sports fans to see that they think it's cool then they will be like oh i'm, I'm going to give it a go myself um and i think certainly on the racing side of things to have the likes of lando and max 
kind of engaging with uh, esports content and be racing online and streaming, you find that there'll be hopefully kind of a new wave of, of real life Formula One drivers from the younger generation. Like you said, given those access, otherwise wouldn't. Yeah. You know, uh, you know, and, and, and you see that with the Twitch stream, a hundred thousand peak viewers. Like that's just like that. It, it doesn't seem like they even exist. It's funny because um, I have a quote from the first. I think uh, not the Oz GP. Uh, and Lando was streaming. So I mean, he has 200,000 plus Twitch followers uh, on his channel. Uh, he hit 70,000, I think, peak viewers um, at the not, not the Oz GP. And he, 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 he went on and said, like, on the stream, he said, I never thought I'd get here. Feels like a lot of support for me. Thank you very much. I'm so happy right now. I'm shivering. Kind of nuts. Am I the highest viewed on Twitch right now? Like, it's what he said on the stream. Yeah. So, like, you know. It's, it, it's mad. It really is mad. <laughs> I mean, I mean. That number, that, that's what I was saying. I don't think that number has come purely from esports fans. That is, that number has got to have come from traditional sports fans also coming in to seeing what esports is about. And and for we've had numerous conversations the last few weeks with Twitch talking about that exact thing and, and how we retain those new fans and how we retain those people and say, oh, if you like you know, sim racing, you're also going to like Call of Duty or you're also going to like uh, Fortnite or whatever. Um, you know, the fact that they're on the Twitch platform or they're on YouTube, that gives me a lot of confidence to think that there's another, there's a huge amount of people out there that still don't know about what we do here. And that, that really excites me. And real quick, you mentioned other games. Was Vlache at one point in other games and other titles? Yeah, so we, we have a, a European uh, Rocket League team. So that's probably our leading esports title. Um, it's an interesting topic. I'll touch on it briefly. I think um, we have an identity now as a kind of racing esports team, and that's kind of been something that we've been trying to build for a long time. And from my side, I lead all the recruitment uh, of our talent. So anyone that we recruit will be me. It will be a decision made through through myself. Um, and we've dipped into other titles in the past, um, but I think what. Well, Without, we don't want to spread ourselves too thin, and, I, and and it's easy to kind of look at games like Fortnite and think it's such a big game, it's so highly watched. Let's jump in and sign some players and put our name to it. But it, it's kind of lazy, and it's not something that I regret um, because we've got some good players and we're we're still going to commit to to being involved. But I think if I had that moment again, I don't know if we'd do it purely because. Um, I think you've got to understand that there's very different markets in esports. And, you know, we go up against the likes of FaZe. We go up against the likes of Optic or the old Optic when it used to be Optic. And we just from them, from a statistical point of view, it's very difficult to, for a fan. Now, when I was a Call of Duty fan, I would watch Optic because of the content that they produced. And I kind of felt close and I felt I resonated with everything they did. So when Call of Duty came around tournaments, I'd support Optic. If there's a Fortnite tournament, we're unlikely to be a team that a lot of people go towards. So it's going to be a much harder job to be engaging with those fans. And in the racing space, we can do that. We have, a, we have an audience. We've got a, an identity. Um, our backgrounds are all from racing. One of our co-founders is a Formula E world champion, John Eric Byrne. So we've got a racing name and brand. And I think we need to be focusing entirely on that asset. And obviously Rocket League works because it's cars, obviously. Um, there's another game called Track Mania, which we love, which is uh, Ubisoft. 
developed game, which is kind of cars going on mad tracks, and it's really exciting to watch. So we, we do that as well. But um, I think for now, we, we just want to kind of maintain a focus on, on, on racing titles. But um, yeah. It, it makes a lot of sense. You said spreading too thin. And you, yeah. and you see that, I mean, in, in other industries, obviously. Uh, I wouldn't say staying on brand necessarily that way in that way, but like spreading resources too thin can, can lead to, um, you know, significant issues later. Um, so I do, I do have another question. I'd love to go down this road uh, real quick. As far as, like, say, how does someone get started, like, as an amateur? Like you love, you love sim racing. Like you want to start making content. You want to, you want to actually start moving up the ranks. Like how do you, how do you do that? Are there leagues for amateurs uh, to get started and how does that look? Yeah. So um, actually I think as an esport, it's one of the, the kind of lower barrier to entry esport titles. Um, you can get a wheel and pedals for like $200. Um, I mean, it's, it's a very, I guess there's, there's titles that are very difficult to get hold of because they're very realistic. So, you know, if you can't drive around, if you can't drive well, you're not going to get around a lap for a few days, you know. But um, the Formula One game, for example, you can play on a controller and you can play on a wheel. Um, there are loads of leagues, um, community-driven leagues that are set up to help um, kind of new drivers. Um, and there's also games like Forza where you can literally just drive around cities in a car, whatever car you want, and just drive around and have fun and free roam. So there's a very good, there's a good variety that you can have. And that's what I love about um, kind of racing within the esports space because you can go on a dirt rally, you can drive around a circuit in Formula One, you can go and drive the Indy 500, you can, you know, do all these different kind of variations of racing very simple, very easily. Um, and for anyone that wanted to, to um, compete you know there's I think plenty of examples kids that I know that were 12 13 a couple of years ago just starting out in the Formula One game and then we signed one of them a couple of months ago he's wow. now 15 years old and he's a, a guy from Poland uh, his name's Hypers and he is unbelievably quick he'll be an F1 esports driver without a doubt um, and it's taken him 18 months to get to you know the top one percent of, of, of our um, industry so you know it's not impossible and I think what's always put me off like Dota and Counter-Strike is that the it's so difficult to get to the top and, it, and it's just like so saturated with, with the amount of people that are playing it it's not easy to get to the top but it's possible and it's not you don't have to put in 30 hours you know in a week to be getting there it's, it's really achievable if you've got the ability and you practice and you know, I think we've, we've got a Discord channel that we um, really invite anyone of any ability to come in and start practicing open lobbies. Um, we've got drivers at the top level that can help give tips. You know, so there's loads of ways that we kind of try and promote that, um, and especially to kind of new to most poor people. It's, it's really important for us. And you mentioned bringing on talent. I mean, you you talked about it a little bit already, but if you could get more details on your recruiting process, like how do you find these drivers through? I mean, obviously through their performance, I would think, but content, does that play a role? And um, I guess walk through that a little bit. Yeah, I mean, oh, when we first started, it was just on ability. Um, as we were just signing guys, regardless of their social followings, um, regardless of their personalities, you know, and I think as we've developed and as we've grown as a business, we can be a little bit more selective. Um, a little bit more um, 
we can go in more in depth with our kind of scouting. So you know, I watch a lot of leagues. I watch a lot of racing online so that I can kind of have a good understanding of the entire market. So we like drivers that can do more than one game. Um, there are a lot of drivers that just like stick to the Formula One game or just stick to iRacing. And I, I feel like where sim racing is at the moment, you have to be, you have to have the ability to compete on different titles because it's not quite, it's not big enough yet. There's no competition that's got a big enough prize pool to make it worthwhile sticking to one. Um, I think ultimately for anyone new, it's about having fun and playing the games you, you enjoy. But from a scouting perspective, we definitely like drivers that do more than one title. Social following is really important as well. Um, you know, I think having a driver that is quick, but also is smart enough to think, I'm going to get streaming. I'm going to start building my own fan base. I'm going to start um, editing my own content and learning how to do that. That is also really important because, you know, we, we've only got so much capacity from a team perspective to, you know, manage these drivers and we're doing our own content. We put up content on YouTube every day. We stream every day. Um, you know, there's only so much we can do. So we really do encourage people to kind of, you know, even if you've got no followers or no subscribers, you know, it's still possible to you know, regularly upload and to start thinking like a content creator. Because if you don't, you'll get left behind. It's really that simple. Um, you know, there are drivers that might not be the fastest in the world, but they market themselves very well and they've built fan bases and they've built, built followings. And that will result in more success because, you know, then you can release your own merchandise. Then you can be, you know, be able to kind of hold your own community races. There's, there's loads of things that you can start doing. And um, I think those kind of people we, we really kind of endeavour to work with. Um, there aren't loads of them around, as you can imagine. Um, so, it, yeah, we're very selective in that way. I, I love you went through that in diversifying your skill sets, and not just from like, like playing the specific titles. You even went through that as far as, you know, hey, you'd rather them be proficient uh, or sufficient at three to five, you know, two to three titles or four titles, but also creating the content. So that, that's, that's, that's just not a concept that people throw around like you kind of hear, oh, you got to make content, you got to make content. I mean, this is from someone from you that goes through the recruiting process and has been through that many times. And this is what you're looking for. You're looking for someone to make that content as part of their kind of their portfolio as to yeah. who they are. So I think it's great. I mean, it's great hearing that from you because I think if you hear from someone from the outside saying it's like, all right, whatever, they're, they're not in that process, but you're in this process all the time. Yeah. Uh, and, and being like, and like you said, at this point, you're very, you guys are very selective now uh, yeah. as to who you, I mean, yeah. there's, there's a lot of, I mean, don't, uh, I'll make no kind of um, comments about that. We've come up against a lot of resistance saying these kind of things to drivers, you know, and, and say, um, you can't for, again, like the financial advice, you can't force someone to make content, but um, yeah. you know, it's the smart, the smart ones that listen to us and think, well, I'll take that on board and, you know, start, you know, marketing myself more, making make, making my social media look a bit more professional, making you know, getting in touch with an editor and saying, "Will you support my YouTube channel?" These are things that people can do. Um, you know, invest in in yourself, really. You know that that that's really the the number one kind of thing is that you can be fast, but if no one cares about you being fast, then like I said at the very start of the, the podcast, like who cares, you know? Uh, <laughs> so the, the content side really is a crucial, crucial part of it. We, we say it all the time on here, but if they can't find you, it doesn't matter if you're a startup or a F1 driver, or whatever, if they can't find you, then how are you going to bring anyone value? 
Yeah, exactly. they have to be able to find you and content's a way to do it. I love that. So I'll definitely be clipping that up and I hope people can take that to heart, especially uh, people kind of starting out and uh, making content. It is really a big part of who you are. So, all right, uh, last minute questions. If you want to jump on LinkedIn or YouTube and throw a question in uh, for Jamie, feel free to do that. Uh, we've got a few minutes here, but I just wanted to say thank you for jumping on. Uh, it's been really insightful. There's a lot of great um lot of great snippets i'll be going through and putting back out there because i think there's there's a lot of value coming from your perspective of going through this uh with an organization and going through we talked about the recruiting process and the content you guys make and the brand that you all have created and the ecosystem you have so uh i just you know y'all done a great job i know it's been a kind of a kind of a crazy two weeks on a number of different levels uh but you guys are executing uh really well i just want to congratulate you guys on what you've been doing no, thanks, Chris. I really appreciate that. And um, yeah, I really enjoyed being on the show. Thanks thanks a lot for having me. For sure. Um, yeah, so if you have a last minute question, jump in. Um, but yeah, and then where can people get plugged in to F1? Maybe you've never heard of F1 or maybe you've heard of F1. Or maybe you saw the first stream last week. But where's the best way to get plugged in with Veloci Esports on social? Yeah, um, I think that our, our, the best place to find us would be on YouTube. Um, we're putting up content there every day. So we, we host our live streams every Sunday uh, at 6 p.m. Uh, GMT. Uh, so we'll be hosting races for the next 11, 12 weeks um, with the coronavirus kind of postponing all real-world uh, motorsport. Um, so come watch us there. We also cut up highlights, best bits all the time throughout the week. Uh, we have a, we have a Twitch channel which is the same as our YouTube handle, and obviously we have a very meme heavy, tongue in cheek social ma- uh, social media manager on Twitter. So uh, you can get engaged with us there and uh, and hear about all our news there too. Well, Jamie, I appreciate your time. This has been really insightful. Um, just thank you for being here and, and taking time to be here and, and go through your all's process. I think it's been really valuable. No, no problem at all. Thank you. All right, up against the clock. We'll see you guys on the next one. Hey guys, hope you enjoyed the episode. Just want to thank everyone who has done a five-star rating or review. If you enjoy the content, this is a way to get the word out about the level up experience. And I really do appreciate it. A couple things. If you want to get connected uh, outside of the podcast, um, we do a live stream on YouTube and LinkedIn. So just search level up experience on YouTube uh, to be a part of the live stream there. We also do LinkedIn live as mentioned, search my name, Chris Reed, C R I S R E E D to get notifications on either platform. Thank you all for all the support and we'll see you on the next episode.